On today's special episode of the 199 Podcast, we're discussing the official start of the 2020-2021 season. That's right, we made it. 199 is about to tip off the season with eight pairs of shorts along with Black Friday deals. We're going to break it all down. Then the Chucker sits down to do an interview with John Wilcom, author of Walk On Warrior, Drive, Discipline, and the Will to Win. Let's kick the season off 199 style. Josh, what's going on? What's up, sir? <laughs> Not much, man. What a strange, weird year we have. But we are finally here, the start of college basketball. Yes, sir. It feels like it's weird because 199 has been around for a while, but this has been such a big year for you guys, and you missed the tournament. This almost feels like an official tip-off for you guys in a different in a different way, like your first official season in, in, just, yeah. in, just, in just a different kind of way. Yeah, we, we actually... Are doing good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can say that, yeah. Meyer. I'm not, well, oh, I mean, this is your first college basketball uh, season as a real company, <laughs> is what you wanted to say. Well, I mean, you, I'll, I'll let you say it because it feels it feels good to hear it uh, come for you. I'm sure it feels good for you too. Oh, so I appreciate it. I wanted to start just uh, talking about uh, the the season. I've got a funny a funny lead off here. Uh, Exiting the, the college football season, which uh, you're a fan of Tennessee, correct? Yes, sir. Go uh, ten- balls. Tennessee football. How it's, they do? How they doing this year? It's been a brutal decade <laughs> and a half. Two decades. <laughs> so I'm going to help you pivot to uh, college basketball. I've got I've got a photo for you here. This is going to be your guy this Folky? year. Yeah, T- Tennessee Fulkerson. Uh, give me your reaction to Tennessee basketball. Are you going to become a Tennessee basketball fan? I've always, I've always liked Tennessee basketball too. I just, I'm an IU guy. Yeah, no. I'm one of those, 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 uh, those uh, half fans. Football is yeah. one school, and basketball is the other. He's a and guy. Now it's reversed, right? It is now. Tennessee's got this great basketball program. Yep. And IU has the football program. Man, what? Yeah. And here I sit. Here you are, fans of the opposite <laughs> of that. <laughs> hey, sometimes things go well in your life. Sometimes yeah, other things yeah. don't, right? No, yeah, no. I'm excited, <laughs> man. We 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 cracked into the SEC. So, um, sure. I've always kind of like watching SEC basketball. But uh, you know, we did that game that that Kentucky Arkansas game. I'd love to get back to to like we need Florida to be good. Um, we need Tennessee to be good. We need Arkansas to be good because we need we need people to challenge Kentucky because that's what makes the exactly. SEC great. It's awesome. I love I loved that Schofield uh, team. A co- you know, was that a couple years ago? Now. Yeah. So I think that yeah. this team Grant can Williams. have that that kind of character. That guy just look. I saw that picture and he just looks like he'd make me mad, but I'd like to watch him play. Yeah, for sure. No, they got a good team. I love Rick Barnes. <laughs> Barnes is my guy. He is. He, he's funny in that that Legends book that I read because he's like an up and comer in the ACC, uh, and he is having to go against Dean Smith and Mike Shashevsky and Valvano and those dudes. Maybe not Valvano; they might not cross paths. But he was trying to like carve his niche, and he wasn't like they were saying he was guy wouldn't take shit off anybody and called Dean Smith that. out for cheating and Whoa. like all kinds of stuff. Like Man, Rick Barnes at Clemson. I, I would not have seen that. A new ninety nine school, by the way. Oh, nice. You know. I, I, I like Clemson. Another Tiger, too. I love that. Exactly. Love it. All right, number two. Is Cade Cunningham 2020 Penny? 
Well, considering I didn't even know who Cade Cunningham <laughs> was before you so told you're me about me to this. answer this. Okay, question. so here's the deal. All right, Meyer did a lot of research for this podcast. <laughs> I did zero. Did uh, not do any. Per per usual. Um, and here's the deal. I tell people this all the time. I've said it on the pod. Like now that uh, we run this company, I actually watch and follow less than I have because we're so damn busy i used to just come home from school and not have anything to do so yeah i kept up on all the recruiting i kept up on uh all the coaching moves and all that stuff and now now our our focus is so much on the past like it like you know what i mean we put so much energy into yeah. telling the story of the past well this one i, I thought would capture the, your idea because you love you love penny memphis uh 99 school he does remind me of big so, I, so now i can't wait to watch I know, him. big point guard so if people have haven't heard of him like you big point guard six seven super athletic uh can pass brother is the coach at the school so he's going to get the keys to the car they might not be in the ncaa tournament so you might want to watch them early i'll watch them uh but they they could be Yeah, the biggest disappointment last year was memphis with wiseman i know after because he only only got three games and i was so hyped to watch him so he was fun in those first yeah no he's awesome yeah he's incredible he's gonna be big this year in golden state now especially with clay down yeah with that drag yeah clay that sucks man sucks so bad so uh before we get too too far in i want to talk blue bloods uh coming up next but i want to talk about just a little bit about the releases coming out because you got some blue bloods in there or something that i consider blue bloods and then just some exciting stuff coming uh, i specifically want to get into one of the pairs but i'm gonna let you talk about what, what you got and then i'll i'll hone in on the one that uh, i want to talk about okay well, I, I can do a quick rundown All of right. what we have going break it, break it down so for me we did Pitt and utah and gonzaga yep. so that was our college tip off with our timeline being that's when college basketball usually starts. Yep. Uh, then we came back and we got hoodies earlier this week. Uh, so that was successful and fun. We got mesh shorts the Friday before that, Monday, um, which has been awesome. I'm wearing my pit shorts right now, my pit practice <laughs> shorts that I won in the draft. Yeah. And you got the 99 hoodie on. Oh, yeah. Um, and we're not doing this on YouTube, so we can give Bravo a little break from all the editing <laughs> that he does. Poor guy. Uh, and then, yeah, so we were able to restock some of our shorts that um, people want, and we thought that it would be a good time. We know it's right before Black Friday, but we thought it'd be a good time to celebrate the season and bring them back. So then we have Black Friday through Cyber Monday, and then we have a special week of launch is lined up after that so and with more hoodies too so super excited got a lot of shit man hell yeah so uh what i want to talk about then next is blue blood so who's the who's going to be the best blue blood this year we got kansas kentucky duke unc who who you think don't know don't know look at this guy that's all right because i i've got i got your back on this one i think kansas is going to be uh the best out of these but i do think Actually, all of them are going to be good this year, which was Carolina's UNC was yeah. terrible last year. They were year. really bad. Really bad. So I think they're going to be better this year. Um, Kentucky, you know, I, they're not going to be, I don't think they're going to be great, but they're going to be good. Duke, I can't tell. They're they're ranked really high, but they don't have that like all-star like Zion guy on there. So it's kind of hard to tell. Lost Trey, Trey Jones. Yeah, That's a big loss. I, do you think, <laughs> this is kind of probably uh, polarizing because Coach K is absolute legend but I, I always wonder like where for a coach is there a point where you st- you know start to lose he's been 41 years barnett like that is such a long time to do anything in life i mean and he's done it with excellence so i hate to question him but it's like the spurs eventually you, if you just keep saying this is the year he falls off one of the years he will you know and i, I don't know if this is uh, it i don't but, know talent talent wins yeah jimmy and joe's 
Jimmy and Josh. That's it. It ain't it ain't X's and O's. I mean, a lot of it is recruiting, and then you know the X's and O's come out where you squeak out games and and win. Um, but it starts with talent. Anybody tells you any different is full of shit. Yeah, no doubt. Well, everything gets started, of course, with the non-conference schedule. So do you have anything that you're excited for? Because I remember distinctly last year at this time uh, being down here at HQ and watching uh, Anthony Edwards, the now yes. number one pick in the draft, go bonkers in Maui. Like, Were we like bananas. cheering into the mics? Yeah, it was going. It was crazy because he wild. was just draining everything from yeah. like 40 feet out. So, so I always look forward to the, to the Maui invitation. Now in North Carolina. I know it's not Maui yeah. Yeah, this year. But, but yeah. it's got all the people, I'm all fired the teams. Up for that. They didn't switch up the teams for and that the one. The thing I'm most fired up for, Meyer, is this NCAA bubble that we're about to get in Indianapolis. Oh, you don't steal my thumb thunder. I've got that. That's, <laughs> I'm, I'm finishing with that one. We're going to talk, talk about it. That's all I care about right now is let that bubble happen. Now, <laughs> I want it to happen. I'll get to it, but I want it to happen with like at least 50% fans. <laughs> that, 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 that's got to be well, part you, of it. You already said it. Let's let's do it. So yeah, dive into NCAA that. in a single geographic region, so the entire tournament is in Indianapolis. Do we close down the but, state but, for that? Okay, but here's, here, <laughs> here's how they should do it, right? Yeah. You have different regions in different cities, uh, right? Yeah. And then and then it, it culminates in Indy. So not all of it is just in. Now, I know that that kind of throws out the bubble, but then you, you make the state the bubble. Yeah. So we could have games at the Ford Center. You could have games up in Fort Wayne. And those could be the early round games, yeah. right? Bloomington, um, West Lafayette. What about, what about throwing in like a high school? That's what like I Newcastle? said. Newcastle? Use Ooh. all these high school gyms. Especially if, there's, if, they're, if they're not going to allow fans yeah. or whatever, or if it's it's going to be 2,000 fans because shit if you're in a 75,000 right you know seat don't arena need, that, it doesn't it. matter that's mm-hmm. just wasted space right so then we could do a barnstorming tour where we just drove up and down Indiana man went to all the old high school gyms <laughs> and saw the NCAA tournament like it would be you you would insane. be you would you'd be speechless you'd be catatonic if like, that happened for real for real I've never done drugs in my entire life I'd be high as shit like the whole time just off basketball that's why I hype. said I literally said Indiana would lock go back into lockdown for that we're like the virus we've got the vaccine we're gonna need to lock down for March Madness it now. would be bananas but I mean Indianapolis is a great city if they host all of it there's yeah. multiple gyms and stuff around there obviously that they can use and they can use the greater metropolitan area too to 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 bring in but like think about games at Hinkle now come on they got they've, they would have to right come on yeah it would be great Hinkle would be insane I, I've always been a proponent of the final four being played at Hinkle when it's in Indy and I'd settle on is it Banker's Life now they change the damn name all the it's, time yeah Banker's Life Banker Life yeah. yeah Banker's Life's a great place it's a, nice, a, it's a really too. nice yeah stadium yep no doubt all right, uh, I want to go back to uh, the NCAA, the most surprising team of the year. Who you got? Oh, I don't know. Don't know? You don't have a, a surprising Hoosiers. team off the top? <laughs> National champs. <laughs> I told you. Finally, I you got no. I, no, I, I want. I'm. I'm. I'm in. Hoosiers. We. We. we I, I don't know, man. I, yeah. I, I like. I don't know. I think, like, you, uh, should, you should just. You should just. I should ask you. I'm gonna these give questions. you. The, I'm give, gonna give me the, the questions. <laughs> you the Here, give me the questions. I'm gonna give you the list. I'll ask We're gonna those. trade. I mean, so, I have thoughts on all this. Once you start talking, I'm Tex- just gonna disagree. So I'm going with Texas Tech. Ah, okay. Yeah, because I you think love they, beard, huh? Yeah, I think they got the the conglomeration. If it wasn't Texas Tech, I wanted to go with with Texas, but Mac McClung uh, gone to Texas Tech. I just right. think he's kind of he a got funky, a media player. eligibility too, right? Just got it. Yeah. So I think he's kind of a. I, I liked watching him at Georgetown. He was fun. Fun there, so I more went talented to, than than people give him credit. I went for. to Texas Tech, 
uh, to visit Coach Knight when he lived down in Lubbock. Did I know? Oh, and you went to Lubbock. That's yeah, right. Yeah, we went to Lubbock. So you so went to we Texas Tech. toured around there and got nice. in and got our picture taken on the court. That arena is awesome. Really? Yes. Surprising. It is cool as shit. Like, the outside of it is dope. It is like... It's either on or off of Indiana Avenue, which I thought was funny with Coach Knight being down there. Yeah, he brought, <laughs> maybe why he chose it. <laughs> but uh, no, the the building itself is awesome, and then the and then the inside is like amazing too. They have this whole shrine to the to their uh, uh, women's championship. Like nice. I'm talking about, like shrine, shrine. Right. It's dope. Got to got to celebrate those yeah. uh, championships. So yeah, I was a Texas Tech fan after I visited. Like it. Texas is Texas is cool in general, especially from when you're from the Midwest. I feel like those like wide open spaces are extra uh, impressive. That's the, the scenic vistas. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. You're right. All right. Do we get to move on to the next? Yeah. You that's tell me right. You tell on. me, man. Okay. Now you're in charge. Now you had IU down there. I did. I, I think, you know, that's I had, just some home. That's, that's some homer. I know. Right. But I do think they could be surprising because they're not getting any love. They also might be underwhelming and we might have a new coach by this time next oh, year. But, I'll say that. But uh you know if they've got they've got talent and I think that the that it could be a you know some is greater than the than the We need shooters, people. I know. We need shooters. I'm hoping those freshmen can really shoot. They have to. We need it. We in we're Indiana. I know. Well how, in how do we the not state find them? Of <laughs> shooters. How the fuck do we not have a shooter? <laughs> That's all I said I know, all I know. last year. I know. Where are the shooters? <laughs> just go, they're, walk, go, they're at just Purdue. Just walk outside and grab some little white dudes yeah. from the driveway. Let them go out there and shoot. Zone busters. I know. We always infuriating. had Infuriating. It was infuriating. Yeah. We just couldn't shoot last year. Couldn't shoot. God damn it. I know. Will the Big Ten get a championship, Meyer? <sighs> and if so... Who's got your best? Who, who do you have as the best chance? Okay, so the the best chance I think is Illinois. It breaks my heart to say it because again, big rival for the Hoosiers. But I, new ninety nine school. Oh, nice! That that I love their colors. They're gonna be they're gonna be good this year. So they are they're gonna be fun to watch. They got likable players on their team. I think they're the best team in the Big Ten. I think they have the best shot. I don't think the Big Ten's gonna win it this year, though. They're not. I don't even have a Big Ten team. Spoiler alert: in my in my Final Four, it is, it um, is crazy. It is crazy. It's been this long. It, it, it we need it. Like for, college basketball needs a Big Ten school but, but to the win big, a championship. But, They've been in the championship game. You know, they just can't get over the hump. Well, and conference depth has been up there too. Like yeah. it has been trading off with. Uh, and you know, I'd argue the ACC and Big Ten just trade off. You know, and maybe ACC gets the edge most years, but um, it's a premier conference. And I think they're the deepest conference in the NCAA. This right, year. that's what I'm saying. There's yeah. a lot. Of, like we have a lot of depth on typical years and so does ACC but the ACC has like 37 schools in it know. you know what I mean yeah um, so yeah yeah what do you think oh I don't know you're gonna get one <laughs> I mean, throw it out there you could just, so you just throw it out there to, but here's the thing I, I say this all the time it's insane and it's the dumbest thing because it's obvious it's insanely hard to win a championship it is you have to have so much shit go right it's so weird though that it's been so east coast dominant because there hasn't been a team west of the Mississippi to win a championship since Kansas did whenever whenever With their Chalmers. last championship so it, that's nuts right like nothing everything's been east coast for just forever now so I mean somebody's some you would think somebody's due so I've got a few in my final four I'm hoping that one of them break breaks through so your te- your your final four is Texas, the Zags, Baylor, and Virginia. Explain. 
I just think all those all those teams are good, and I'm I'm pumped about Shaka Smart. We talk a bunch about, uh, you know, z- zones and pressing, and I've always liked him. He's got uh, he's what, got his he's got his hair he's got his five? hair grown out this year. You're four, you're five now. Yeah, something like that. He's been there a while. Like he was a little bit on the hot seat, but I feel like they're they're back this year. They're going to be really good. Building a new stadium. Yeah, I just have fun watching. Not, the, not for this year, but. Fun watching him coach, watching them play. Um, uh, Baylor, this will be an interesting one for Baylor because how is my, this kind of a throw out to you? Scott Drew has been there for 18 years. Now. I, I would have never Can guessed. Can you believe that? that? No, I would have never That's guessed. That's wild because I remember him because he was he started at Valparaiso. Which so is, did he take over after Bliss and that whole scandal? Was yes. he the coach that was hired to come in and kind exactly. of clean it up and fix yeah. it and stuff? So he, he, he goes. It's, from, it's amazing that that Patrick Dodson stuff's been 18 years ago, too. I know, 18 years ago, yeah. man. It is just crazy that he's been there, but he's never won a conference, never won the conference, never won the conference tournament, hasn't been to the final. Final four, you can't win the conference. I mean, like you not one time. I mean, he's had, some good, he's can, had some good teams, though. You literally cannot win the Big or the 12. Co- or the conference tournament. You can't win the Big Twelve. Like <laughs> it's illegal for another Just team Kansas. to win the Big Twelve. I know it's brutal, but this could be the year because I've got I've got him up there. Him and him in Texas. I think Gonzaga. We, if you if people haven't watched the YouTube uh, uh, show of us drafting the shorts, those Zags uh, practice shorts are unbelievable, yeah, and that's Zags. that's my pick to to win it. So there is going to be a team West so, Mississippi is going to be the Zags this year that win it. We need Gonzaga to win. Because it's a team from like the WCC, mm-hmm. and it's like it's like Butler winning. Like exactly. it would have been cool shit to see Butler win one of those national championships, just to mix it up. Just to, and Gonzaga just needs it to uh, validate like everything that they've done for the last. 20 years you yeah. know what i mean like just, i want them to get one for them it has nothing to do with us 99 nothing i just want that for them now their fans are crazy Cra- like good. i'm starting to starting to see that like <laughs> crazy in a good way yeah. like crazy loyal like gonzaga has a huh. stronghold out there on the west coast love that and it's funny i, I mean they've surpassed U- ucla's success and you know there's a lot of top tier programs that would trade the last 20, 30 years that Gonzaga's had. You know what I mean? hundred percent. I, I, I would trade. I use last 20 that's, years. That's what I I'm mean, saying. They've been UCLA would trade consistent, it. And I, and I think they've give they always give you something to cheer for, even if you're not getting over the hump. I mean, it's, I mean, I think it's coming this year. Um, I'd be awesome. Virgi- be Virginia's Virginia's really good too. Never bet the, against Tony Bennett. I if know. he gets, if he gets around there now, I know that, you know, he couldn't he couldn't win the big one. He couldn't get to the final four. He couldn't win a national championship, but he did all that. He did it. And though that 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 Virginia team I know. Those Virginia te- his Virginia teams, let me he's rephrase been, that. He's been great. His Virginia teams are like watching Bob Knight two point oh. I know. Uh, I don't even want to talk about it because that's who that was who I wanted for Oh, no year. doubt. Me too. Yeah. Me too. And the thing was, like Virginia was getting a bad name because they were scoring 53 points and holding people to 48 points and shit. Indiana people would have ate that shit up. Especially if there's a W after it. Oh, my God. They would have loved it. They would have loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he would have been Who you got between Tony Bennett and uh, Jay Wright? Who would you take? Well. I know. It's tough, right? Jay Wright's one, too. So I'll give him the nod because he has to. Okay. Okay. But who would I want as my next coach? Yeah. 
That's what I was asking. Like, you, like you get like you get if I you your, could hire anybody yeah. or, or, any, or, or whatever either of those school, two. Yeah. Ben is a little bit younger too, right? Yeah, I always go youth. <laughs> I a- do ageism over here. I do. I, I always go youth on that. <laughs> they can stay longer I typically. Love I love it. Who would you go with? I think Tony Bennett. I just the, something about his demeanor. I just. Uh, I like it a little bit more, although the the tales from the bench that hearing that guy talk about Jay Wright, what a good you know high character guy he is. Yeah, you can't go I wrong. also think too, both those guys a weird thing that is so much fun about college basketball and old school college basketball is they don't seem to do as well when they have like the five star recruits. Like they have this like mismatch of guys that fit their system and play the way they want them to, and that's their best teams. And something about that I also yeah kind of like yep. Then you you would be a big fan of Nova in, in Virginia. Exactly. Yeah, they develop it and they keep it. Yeah, but they get high profile recruits. They do. They, they do. But I'm just saying, I think that their best teams have been the the guys who have been who would you who you'd point to as their best players on those teams would be guys that they developed. Well, state. that's that. I mean, you could say the same about Duke and same about Kentucky Fair. to an extent. I mean, Kentucky had those two vets that stayed, Lamb and uh, what's his name, Terrence. What was his last name? Terrence Jones. Yeah, Terrence Jones has yeah. stayed and kind of paved the way for Anthony Davis and Kid Gilchrist and those guys That's to come fair. in. And then you had your Quinn Cooks. And, those guys are like sophomore, you know, sophomores. Yeah, just sophomores, yeah. but still a year, you know, a year in the program. Yeah. Then you had your Quinn Cooks on your Duke National Championships and stuff like that. So it's always like you need that. You still need it. Yeah. It's very, very hard for five freshmen to come in and just win. <laughs> Almost impossible, I would say. Right. Exactly. All right. Uh, UConn is back in the Big East. That's dope. Is the Big East back? The Big East never went away. Well, that's true. <laughs> Touche. I mean, like, old school. Like, the, is this the, the start of something for the, like, it, it's heading, gonna, heading towards the old school Big East because the Big East in my mind never is the stuff get, that we've we've talked about where it's like they 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 could have been on the air every night on ESPN. You're never going to unbelievable. You're never going to get the old Big East back. You're just not because that was, had its place in time and it was just who it was. So you had your Syracuse and you know those were great rivalries back there and those teams aren't coming back like UConn did. Yeah, you know for the most part. For the most part. But here's the thing. The new Big East is badass. Like, the new Big East is legit. And so the new Big East... Basketball is, conference. I know. And purely basketball. I know. So the new Big East is going to become its own, like, place and time where people are going to look back and be like, remember when Nova was in, winning national championships and Butler was good? And UConn's going to be a part of that. So they'll develop some of the new rivalries. And, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm pumped that they're back. You got any specific pairs of shorts that you want to talk about that from the restocks? I got uh, one in mind, but I was curious. Go if you ahead, had any. throw it out there. All right, I want to talk a little 1996 uh, UMass. That's one of the restocks, correct? No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit that later. Then <laughs> you pick one of the uh, restocks. So those, 90, those no, you don't have to edit that. 96 UMass got pushed. I'll tell you what happened. Okay, give me the story right. then. What happened? See, well, it's coming back. The it's coming back in December, so okay, it's one of the okay. pairs that launches in uh, the first full week of December. So UMass fans, 96 Cambies are coming back. Thank God. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> we had a lot of requests for those. So those got pushed because here's what happened. I was trying to get the 
Novas. I'm gonna screw these years up. There's so, all our Nova shorts bank up against each other, so yeah. it's like impossible. Because it's that era in the Big East that we were just talking about. Like this yeah. is like glory it days. Could it might? Yeah, I think it's ninety five, ninety six. So I'm I'm getting it confused. Our manufacturer also got it confused, <laughs> right? So they yes. sent the restock of the Kittles shorts yep. when they were supposed to send the new shorts that Kittles wore his last year there at okay. Nova, right? Right. Which are dope. So those are coming to Nova fans. Those will not be here until Q1. They're on a boat right now somewhere uh, in the ocean. Just taking a little cruise and we o- had, on the ocean. And we had the 94s. Carry Kittles, the crazy ones, yes. the old Apex ones show up instead. So we moved the UMass 96, since those haven't been out in a while, to December, and then these restock today. So, Love it. Yeah. I mean, we the just ki- had to pull those. The carry, ki- the, the carry Kittles ones are personal favorites. I wore those just on this Wednesday. Pick up hoops. Carry there you Kittles, go. Carry Kittles shorts. Shirts and skins. Yep. Shirts and skins. Hey, if you're going <laughs> to wear one item of clothing to play basketball, and it might as well be those. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, man. Any any of the other ones you want to shout out? I think those are, those are probably one of my favorite all time. But uh, no, we just got. I mean, Michigan State and Indiana State seventy nines are back. Those are always big and and fun. And uh, Xavier eighty sevens. The people have been waiting on those to come back. So yeah, man. Do you watch good, so good me, before we uh, before we uh, are out of here? Do you watch the crosstown? It used to be the crosstown shootout. Uh, Xavier Cincinnati. Uh, do you? Are you going to tune into the Crosstown Classic this year? Because I, I think of that's course. one of the, the most fun, like non non conference games yeah. too. Yeah, no, those are fun. Yeah, I want to I want to go to one really bad. I mean, I, so soon soon as we get Cincinnati licensing, which should be soon, that would be we'll we'll have to go so, maybe next year or whatever. So much fun because yeah. those two are such rivalries make basketball, and man, those two teams don't like, do each, not other. like each other at all. So I went to a Xavier game and they like pulled some old dude out of the crowd and they were like, "What's your?" What's your favorite? Uh, I'm here with such and such. He's uh, uh, had season tickets for 47 years. He's like, what's your favorite memory of watching Xavier basketball? He's like, anytime they beat Cincinnati. <laughs> like, they were playing Providence. Like, yeah, yeah, like the yeah, game yes. they were playing Providence. So, like, yeah. No, it's, it's fun. But that's a, that's a cool rivalry, man. Like, inside a big city. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's just cool. It would be like uh, another... Decent sized school being in Indianapolis and them having rivalry with Butler. Of course, there's going to be tension. The animosity you know? between between the two and the two fan bases seem to not like each other either. Which so is that's, funny. That's fun. Which is funny. You yeah. live in Cincinnati. You identify with Cincinnati or Xavier. well, I think it's maybe the the school. You know, the, the perception of the schools, right or right or not. But uh, you could find Butler in a you know a more urban school. Maybe you know it could have some a similarity to that too. Just exactly how people perceive it, right or wrong. You know, I love both of those schools. Yeah. Since the end, Xavier. Oh, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Xavier, I mean, that's a good rivalry. For sure. Yeah. All right. You got anything else or are we going to leave it there? That's it. Let's leave it. All right. Perfect, man. Peace. Welcome, welcome to the 19.9 podcast, where we are excited to welcome author John Wilcom. Uh, I am the Chucker, 19.9's resident historian, and John's book, Walk-On Warrior, gives us a detailed look at the life of a walk-on in a big-time college basketball program. He gives us that and so much more in the book, and we're thrilled to have him here today on the 19.9 podcast. So, John, thanks for joining us here today. Appreciate you having me. I'm excited to be on. 
Awesome. Kind of an odd, uh, you know, I read today on ESPN.com, we're recording this on Sunday, the 15th. Um, Coach Beheim at Syracuse tested positive for coronavirus. We have uh, Coach Izzo who tested positive as well. I guess about 20 programs um, or nearly 20 programs, according to the ESPN report, have shut down. So it's kind of an odd. Normally, we have all these teams ramp it up, getting ready for the season. And it's kind of this odd, odd time in that we don't know kind of what the 2020-21 college basketball season is going to look like, right? For sure. Yeah, I feel bad for the the coaches, the players, obviously, like, um, as we'll talk about it, you know, the commitment at that at the D1 level is is year round. So to put in, obviously, the amount of work that they do, um, you know, leading up to this point and kind of still have a, you know, potentially a 50 50 chance to even even play. um, I'm really hoping that they'll be able to figure something out. Yeah, absolutely. I think you and so many of our, certainly myself and so many of our listeners as well. So, well, John, we got a lot of ground to cover here. So let's dig right in and begin with a bit of your background and how you ended up as a walk-on at Marquette to begin with. Yeah. So it was kind of a, um, kind of a twisted story just in a way that, that I didn't go to Marquette right out of high school. Um, I grew up in central Wisconsin in a, in a small town called Marshfield, um, geographically right in the center of the state of Wisconsin. And, um, I was a huge Marquette fan growing up. So, uh, my dad was a student there in the seventies. Um, you know, when we were, would watch games as, as kids, um, the only times we got to stay up late uh, past our bedtime was to watch Marquette play. Um, so I always had a, an affinity for the program. Um, it was something that just meant a little bit more to me. Um, obviously like as I, as I played high school basketball and um, I was a good high school player. I was a three-time all-conference player, um, you know, good by central Wisconsin standards, but I wasn't a division one player. Um, but I did, I did get a division two scholarship to go play in Minnesota. Um, I took that, um, I went and played my freshman year there. Um, and I actually played quite a bit. We had a terrible team. I think we were four and 23. Um, but it was one of those experiences where I just, by the end of the season, I, I kind of just reevaluated what I wanted to do, um, just from a college standpoint. Um, and I, I kind of, at that point thought maybe my basketball career is over, you know, maybe I'd have an opportunity to be a manager somewhere, but ultimately I just wanted to go to a bigger school. And so I kind of narrowed it down to either going back to, you know, the university of Wisconsin or going to Marquette. And once I got into Marquette as a transfer, um, I thought this is a place where I really want to be. And so basketball at that point was kind of on the back burner for me. Um, and it wasn't until I reached out to coach Crean, um, in like the spring of, of my freshman year, just saying, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be transferring. Um, you know, I just got done, you know, playing a season of division two ball here in Minnesota. Um, but I just want to stay connected to to the game in some way. And, and, you know, I'd love to help out whether that was in the film room or, um, as a team manager or just something. Um, and so he ultimately just said, Hey, if you want to be a part of what we're, what we've got going on, you know, I encourage you to come down for summer camps and just be around the program, meet the team, meet the players, meet the staff. And so that's what I did. And I basically spent, um, you know, most of June and July down in Milwaukee. Um, and I would, you know, run camps during the day. And then at night, um, I scrimmaged with the guys, uh, probably four or five nights a week, uh, which was a lot of fun for me. Cause obviously we had some, some great players and alumni would come back and, um, you know, I got to play against some, some really good, uh, competition. Um, 
and ultimately by the end of, of July, um, you know, one day we got done playing and one of the assistant coaches, uh, Brian Wardle, who's now the, the head coach at head Bradley, coach Bradley, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just sat me down and said, Hey, um, you know, we had a spot open up. We want you to walk on. We want you to be a part of what we've got going here as a player. And, um, you basically have another month to go home and get yourself in the best shape of your life, um, to come back and, and, and play with us. So, um, that's kind of the story. Um, ultimately, like I would come back in September and, and go start, you know, going through strength and conditioning and just preseason conditioning, um, which is a whole another story in itself. But um, that's kind of how it ultimately transpired. Cool. So, you know, at that point, you mentioned Marquette's a pretty good program. Um, it's not far removed from its final four parents. So what year are we talking? We're talking, I think, 2004, 2005, correct? Correct. Yeah. And we had, um, you know, Dwayne Wade obviously was was gone by that point, but mm-hmm. um, still had Travis Diener, who was entering a se- senior season. Absolutely, yeah. was coming off of, you know, basically a first team all conference um, selection in Conference USA. And then Steve Novak was a junior um, who would also go on to play in the NBA. So yeah. we had um, we had two of the best, probably pure shooters in the country. Um, you know, our Achilles heel was just we um, we didn't have a lot of depth. We were limited inside um, and teams really kind of geared up to stop those two guys. So you mentioned you come from central Wisconsin. You go to a D2 school in Minnesota and one that struggles to win some games. And then you come to Marquette, not far removed from a Final Four appearance, pretty big time college basketball. What were some of the first impressions that you had of big time college basketball there at Marquette? I think the number one thing that sticks out to you in terms of just the first thing that you see is just there are so many people um, that are involved in a program like that to, to make it go. Um, you know, in terms of, of coaches and trainers and strength staff and academic staff and PR people, uh, digital marketing folks, um, there just always seem to be people around, which is a really cool thing. And, you know, when you actually go to a game at that level and, and you see the amount of work that goes into the, like, the production of, of the event, um, it, it's... I guess I just look at it differently now at, at the age of you know 36 of just what a production it actually is. Um, and at the same time, you know, you have all the resources as a player um, to basically get the most out of what you've got, you know, um, that you're going to go through things from sunup to sundown, um, whether that's athletically, you know, strength conditioning wise film, um, you know, academic sessions, study halls. So it's a, it's a wild day. It's a busy day. Um, but ultimately, uh, there's just there's so many people that are that are around just to kind of make it go. Absolutely, man. So let's kind of little dig a little even further into that. Just how would you characterize the life of a walk on? Because I think a lot of people, um, I think, you know, have this 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 idea of it or kind of what it's like. And so for you, kind of what was the typical day like? What was the experience like of being this walk on, especially on a team with, you know, two NBA talents um, and a lot of other good guys around that. Just kind of what was that life like for you? Yeah. You know, one of the the coolest things I think as I, as I look back on it was the one of the first, first days when I literally got a practice Jersey, um, Tom Crean sat me down in his office. We had a great chat just about kind of expectations and um, you know, what my day to day was going to be like. And he basically just said, I'm going to coach you like everybody else. <laughs> There is, you know, zero differentiation between, you know, being a walk on here or a scholarship guy or, you know, first guy on the bench. Um, it didn't really matter. 
And so from that standpoint, I think my expectations and his expectations were, were pretty aligned from the get go. And I know a lot of programs, um, and I have had friends that have played at other schools where it's not like that, you know, walk-ons kind of stand on the sideline. Um, they may run kind of half manager responsibilities, half, half player responsibilities. But for me, um, I was involved in everything. Um, and I, you know, practice my butt off. Um, I was basically in charge of guarding Travis on a day-to-day basis. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was tough. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun from that standpoint, just to be, to be, you know, looked on to, to provide value to the team, just as, as all the other 13 guys would be. Absolutely. It seemed like you kind of really enjoyed that and kind of relished that you weren't kind of relegated to kind of that half manager, half player duties, and that you were really put in this position like, Hey man, we're going to really come after you the same way we come after every planner. It seems like you kind of, uh, kind of a, a great gem of this experience for you. Yeah. And, and you're forced to step up. I think one of the, uh, the funny things is that, you know, you can, you can sit there and just say, Hey, you know, these guys can jump higher than me or some of these guys are better shooters or, or what have you. Um, but I would, you know, I would do shooting drills with Steve Novak and I, I'll never forget this because we used to do a drill called five minute threes where you know, basically five minutes on the clock, you know, mm-hmm. would rebound, he would move around the three point line and he'd try to make as many threes as he could in five minutes. Um, I went and I think I got like 51, which for me was good. Um, and I was, you know, I was proud of that. And he goes and he makes 73 threes, but he made 73 out of 75 threes. And I just stood there and I'm like, I mean, I didn't have to move, you know, other than just stand right under the, under the hoop. Um, but the, the, the expertise and the efficiency, um, from a guy like that, obviously he was a special talent shooting the ball. Um, but it really opens your eyes up to just one, how good he was. And two, it's like, if I don't make more than 50, you know, this is embarrassing. Um, just being around that type of effort, um, obviously like as my teammate. So, um, I think having players like that around just kind of force you to get better quickly. Yeah. It's an interesting thing because you think about it, It's not only that Novak did that, but he did it at a, well, he was what? Six, nine. I mean, he was a legit six, nine, six, eight guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's just what I sometimes don't think people get about big time college basketball. It's like, not only can they have this great skill, but then they do it in this, this, this body sometimes, you know, that is just magnifies their skills. You know, not only do they have a 40 inch vertical, but they're, they're, you know, they're already six, nine with, you know, a seven, two wingspan. <laughs> you know? So it's just like, it's, it, that's really sometimes the difference. And I would imagine that was a huge difference as you went from D2 to D3, because you saw good players at D2, but they weren't six, nine, for you sure. know, for sure. The, the, the freakish athleticism, obviously in division one is, is it, it just, that's a crazy difference. That's probably the biggest difference. Um, to your point, there are some very, very good players at division two level. Um, but most of like the true fives were probably six, eight, um, you know, you have a lot of guys that would play on the wing as like small forwards that were six, four, six, five, um, good shooters, take care of the ball, very skilled. Um, but there were no guys that were going to like dunk on you from the wing. Um, 
And so that those are there were moments like that. And we had a we had a two guard named Damian Mason um, who eventually left Marquette and transferred to LSU. Um, but just a tremendous athlete. And there would be, you know, there would be moments in practice sometimes where, you know, he'd take a dribble to the baseline and, and just take off and and pull it back and just dunk hard on guys. And um, you know, those were the moments as a as as a person kind of new to division one basketball, it's like I, I just, I didn't grow up seeing that every day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so beyond the athleticism, you know, I know you talk in the book about how this experience really changed uh, how you live your life. And, and so let's dive into that a little bit. And so what were some of the particularly valuable experiences you had? What did you see, learn and take away from your time as a, as a mar- walk on at Marquette? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think one of the first things is just like the consistency that goes into, to every day, you know, people used to joke with me, like, you know, I could, I could, I could practice, you know, for a week with the team and do just fine. And I could make it through some of these conditioning sessions and I don't disagree with them, but it's like, try doing that for, for eight straight months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, try, try going through strength and conditioning sessions at five thirty in the morning for, you know, the next 180 days. Um, there is just, there's a, there's a mentality change that, that takes place. And the funny part about it, and we joke with, and we joke about this now, but you're also like 18, 19, 20 years old. And so mentally you're still trying to kind of just figure life out to begin with. And so I think that it's an interesting intersection between just like the maturity of, of, you know, some of these, these guys are kind of just kids, you know, we're kids, we're, we're trying to figure it out. Um, so I think that's, that's a big part of it. Um, the other thing, and one thing that I'll never forget is, um, because I transferred from a division two school to a D one school, even though I wasn't on scholarship at Marquette, um, I was forced by NCAA rules to not be able to shoot up for the games. So from, in one standpoint, it's like, I obviously know I'm a valued member of the team. You know, I'm there every day doing everything that everyone else is doing, but you know, it is a little, it was, it was disheartening at the beginning of the season to be able to, to not, you know, suit up and actually like go through the warm ups for the games. And basically I'm sitting on the bench in a, in a collared shirt and pants, you know? Um, but we were about, we were maybe five games in and it's halftime of a game that we're losing and everybody's upset and we're just kind of talking and the coaching staff would always go into a different room first and then they would come in and like address the team. Mm-hmm. So they go do their thing. A couple minutes later, Crean comes storming in the locker room and he's like, John Wilkham, stand up. And it's like, me? Why? <laughs> and so I stand up. I basically stand right in the middle of the room and he just like berates me for a good probably 60 seconds about how I was just screwing around to practice all week. And the fact that it was my fault that I didn't prepare these guys for certain looks and just blah, blah, blah. And, and then he just is like, sit down and he storms back out of the room. And that was the halftime speech. And I thought to myself, like, what? And, uh, you know, finally Travis looks at me and just starts laughing and it's like, you know, man, if we get down anymore, like, you know, this is great. Cause you'll just take all the blame. <laughs> I have to think of, you know, you're 19, 20 years old at that point. I have to think at that point, you think Crean is the biggest ass in the world. Exactly. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, I thought I had a good week of practice, whatever. But the interesting part is that as I kind of just reflected on that, even, even the next few days, I thought, you know, it's a pretty cool thing that a guy that's not even playing in the game um, matters enough 
And like my contributions matter enough that he would even say that. Um, and I think that goes back to just the very beginning of the season, which was just like, we all have a role. We're all accountable in some way. And he was going to hold me accountable, you know, whether I was playing in the games or not. Yeah. Let's kind of then, you know, stick on this idea of, you know, big time college basketball. And, and we talked a little bit about maybe just something that, you know, the amount of people around that was like, people just don't get that. What are maybe just some of the other things that you think people misunderstand or maybe don't see when they think of big time college basketball? You know, we see, we see the game on Saturday, right. Or the big game on big Monday, but what is it that you think just the average fan maybe doesn't fully take into account sometimes? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to answer this. Um, but just, you know, I'll start with, with one thing, and I alluded to this earlier, but um, the amount of hours that you actually put in um, is it, crazy. And and even now, you know, as a working professional, it'll never come close to like what I was actually doing when I was when I was playing. Um, to give an example of this, like you know, we would start and do conditioning at five thirty or six in the morning, you know, even during the season. Um, I go to class from eight to noon, grab a quick lunch. I practice from probably one to four, four thirty. Um, we would get done. We would, we would grab dinner quick. We'd usually come back and watch some film. Um, we'd have study hall from six to eight o'clock. And then, uh, we actually had a thing on Marquette called maximize the day, which, uh, I actually really liked this concept, but at the time we all just kind of laughed because it was like, you know, who's going to want to do all this extra stuff at, at eight at night after, you know, 16 hours of work. Um, but we had a chart in our locker room that was just like, you know, anything that you did to maximize your day basketball wise above and beyond kind of the normal, normal repertoire. So, you know, maybe it was getting up a hundred extra threes or going through his ball handling workout or what have you. So, um, bottom line is that if I chose to do that, you know, I'd get home at nine or nine thirty, and still a college kid that had homework and papers to write, and um, you know, chasing a girl or two. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> you know, I think that's part of it. Is is you put in so much, and you're trying to just like I said, figure your life out a little bit, and um, you know, make some times for you know with friends or um, go hang out with yeah, you know, buddies in another dorm. Um, so I think part of what people don't understand is just the the mentality as a as an eighteen or nineteen year old isn't obviously the same as a you know thirty five year old fan watching the game on TV. And so you're a walk on for just the one season, just the two thousand four two thousand five season, correct? Correct. So what was your calculus about maybe not trying to go beyond that? Yeah, you know. Um, I've, I've thought about that a lot and, and even like leading up to that. So, um, I was planning to play the next year. I went through this, you know, spring workouts, um, and, and, you know, really had improved a lot. I mean, when I showed up on campus, I was probably 158 pounds. Um, by the end of the season, I was up to like 178. I mean, I gained just like 20 pounds of muscle. Um, I was in phenomenal shape. Um, so I liked where I was at, like athletically, um, you know, one thing that really changed kind of my mentality is, um, I took a foreign exchange trip, um, to Europe as part of this like business program for three weeks and, you know, Crane had okayed it and just, you know, it was basically from late May to like the middle of June where I would go over there, earn a few credits, take a course, come home. And, um, when I got back from that, there was just a ton of pressure on me to get back into to basketball shape like immediately, um, which was hard because I, I kind of felt and we were on the same page in terms of 
terms of um, doing things to kind of broaden your life, you know, having a, having a college experience that was memorable. Um, and so that certainly wasn't, wasn't the only reason, but I think it just kind of changed my perspective a bit on, you know, everything that I do around the clock has revolved around basketball um, really up to that point, my entire life. Um, and, you know, what, what more was I going to get out of it? Um, you know, was I realistically going to have a shot to play that next season? Maybe. Um, but we had a great recruiting class coming in with Dominique James, Drell McNeil, Wes Matthews. Um, so I just got to a point where I just didn't think I could continue to put in the time at the level that was required. Um, and I didn't think that was fair to the team. And so, um, I actually went right from, from not playing to then coaching at a, at a local high school. Um, and I coached, uh, I was an assistant varsity basketball coach for, for my junior and senior years of college. Um, which was an awesome experience for me as well. And, um, I think me staying connected to the game in some way was something that was always going to happen. Um, I just didn't know exactly kind of how that stuff would play out. Um, but I was really grateful to, to kind of just say, you know, I'm, I'm done. Um, I just don't feel like I can contribute anymore. And then, you know, making a pretty quick transition to go and coaching down the street at the high school. And so you mentioned how you kind of then get into coaching was the hope or at least your plans at that point in your 20 year old, 20 years old or so was the hope is that you could maybe make a career in basketball somehow. I mean, was that kind of the plan or the hope? Yeah. You know, I, I had always wanted to be a college basketball coach. Um, I think that was just like in my blood. Um, you know, even people today are like, man, you just, you love basketball. And I would, I would never deny that. Um, but I think the other thing that I saw at Marquette, um, and just being around the program was just the crazy, crazy commitment, especially on the assistant coach side, um, at that level. Um, you know, there'd be so many days when I would come in, you know, to get ready to, to go lift at probably five fifteen in the morning, you know, and I would see half of our staff like laying in the player's lounge on the couches. Um, and I just, it, it occurred to me at that point, like, I just don't know if that's the life that I want for myself, for my family, if I have one, um, how sustainable is that for me? And so, um, and in some ways the, the Marquette experience, um, I wouldn't say like, you know, completely kind of crushed that dream, but it definitely like made me think about just the realities of potentially doing that and kind of what, what role would basketball play in my life? Um, maybe it didn't need to necessarily be a job, but it'd be something that I could continue to follow passionately, just maybe in a different way. It's interesting. Cause then, I mean, you do some basketball camps and get involved with an AAU program too. So talk a little bit about that if you would. Yeah. Uh, the crazy part about the AAU stuff is that, um, I actually, I started a basketball camp in my hometown when I was a senior in high school and I started it with a buddy and I thought, you know, I've gone to all these great camps. I've been around all these great players up to that point. Why don't I bring something like that just to, to the kids locally? So we had this camp, a bunch of kids showed up. It was, it was fun. Um, second year. So my freshman year, I guess after my freshman year of college, uh, had, you know, camp again, but we ended up having three camps and we had probably like 300 kids come. Um, and by the third year we had so many kids just showing interest in these camps, um, that we actually, uh, we actually had like a summer camp circuit around the Midwest. And so that played a, a bit of a role as well. Um, you know, I was still playing basketball. I was doing my own camps. I was thinking about whether I wanted to keep, continue playing. Um, 
So the, the camps kind of led into the AAU program, which is called Wisconsin Playmakers, um, and it's still running today. They've got programs for kids, you know, third through 12th grade. Um, and we actually, uh, one of our alums is, is Matt Thomas, who is a shooting guard for the Raptors. Mm-hmm. But that whole experience was, was amazing to me just because, again, it allowed me to stay connected to the game. Um, it allowed me to kind of build something, you know, with people that were friends of mine um, and just kind of create, create something awesome for kids that maybe didn't have as many opportunities as some of the kids that, uh, that reside in bigger cities. Awesome, man. So uh, we're going to dig into the book in just a moment, but you know, we're talking about kind of your connections to the game and 199 recently released Utah Utes gear and the late great coach Rick Majerus is certainly a prominent figure in that program's history. Now, Rick Majerus is a figure in your life too. So tell us about Rick Majerus, how you came to interact with him and, and how you would describe the coach and uh, maybe a good story or two of that pretty uh, eccentric character. <laughs> Uh, I love Rick Majerus, you know, um, God bless him. I was, I was doing an internship with a sports agent in Milwaukee and, uh, this was quite a summer because I got to meet a lot of prominent figures. Um, I, I worked Donald driver, the former, uh, Green Bay Packer receivers football mm-hmm. camp. And, uh, he was one of our bigger clients. So I got to hang with him, uh, a, a bunch of fun. Um, but Rick Majerus was one of our clients and he had just moved back to Milwaukee. He was taking care of his sick mom at the time and he needed an assistant. And naturally, uh, he wanted like an actual like admin assistant and, the guy that ran the sports agency is like, you should have John do it. You know, he can do it. He loves basketball. He's a fan of yours. Like you're going to love this kid. And Rick's like, no. And so a couple weeks go by, weren't able to find anybody. And the head of this agency comes back and he's like, you still want to work with Majerus? And I'm like, hell yeah. I want to work with them. Um, so Rick, Rick finally kind of caved and said, all right, you know, so, um, Send me the kid. Yeah, send me the kid. So here's the crazy part. Rick was living uh, in a hotel in downtown Milwaukee, and he had lived in a hotel at several of his other stops, including in Salt Lake City. Um, but he finally was like, I want to move out of this hotel. I bought this condo. Can you help me move? And it's like, yeah, I, I guess I can do whatever you want me to do. So we spent a lot of time packing things up. Um, but one of the funniest things is, is the first day I go to meet him, I'm knocking on his hotel room door and nobody answers, nobody answers. And I'm like, you know, this is, this is great. Um, and then maybe 30 seconds later, I see this man walking down, uh, the lot, like through the hallway of the hotel and he's wearing a speedo. He's soaking wet. <laughs> And he's got goggles on. And it's like, is that him? And not a small man. He's a large man, a very large man. So no towel, just soaking wet. And it's like, he's like, sorry, I, I was just getting some laps in in the pool. And it's like, okay. <laughs> That's why I met Rick Majerus. Um, we proceeded to, to obviously like, you know, pack all these boxes and, um, he was just, he was so good to me in so many ways. You know, um, I'd be cleaning out, you know, crates of stuff and I'd find like, you know, signed Jordan sneakers. And I'm like, what do you want me to do with these? You know? And he's like, well, you can't have those, but maybe you can have these other ones, you know? Um, and we just, we just had a great time. I mean, he, at one point we moved into the the condo unit, um, 
he had a patch of grass outside that was probably about six by six feet. I mean, the whole thing was covered under like an HOA anyway, but he's like, can you go to a hardware store and, and buy a garden hose? You need to water that lawn. <laughs> And it's like, <laughs> you sure? Like, so anyway, um, I did that. And then the, the last just uh, story that I'll tell is um, we spent about three months talking about his health and just, I need to eat healthier. You know, I need to like, watch what I'm drinking all stuff. So he was, he was actually doing better. Like, you know, I have a even like grocery shop for him and, you know, fill his refrigerator and stuff. So I had a pretty good idea of like what he was eating. At least I thought I did. Um, but towards the end of the summer, he, he sends me this message and basically says, you need to go to this like sausage factory um, in downtown Milwaukee to pick up uh, an order for me. And I'm like, okay. So I go to this place and they say, Hey, we've got 89 pounds worth of bratwurst for Mr. Majerus. <laughs> and I just shook my head and I'm like, this is so stereotypical. This can't be right. Like I can't even like fit all this stuff in my car. Um, and so I call him and I'm like, why are you, why do you want, you know, want all this? And he's like, Oh, I'm having an event. I'm having his party. I'm like, no, you're not. He's like, just pick up the Browers. So I, I basically brought the stuff, filled his garage freezer with all this, uh, all this bratwurst. And, um, I never, I never knew what actually happened to that, but I have a strong suspicion that there was never a party. <laughs> it just trickles down two or three at a time. Huh? <laughs> uh, awesome, man. So let's kind of dig into the book a little bit. Uh, great read. It's called walk on warrior drive discipline and the will to win. Um, that dropped in 2018. So let's first talk about what spurred you to tackle a project like this and what kind of ignited you to put pen to the page, so to speak. So I started writing this book or at least writing stories down, you know, back in 2003. So during my freshman year in Minnesota. Um, and when I got to Marquette, I, I started actually writing a bit more just because there were so many unique things that were happening to me. Um, you know, whether it was like my first strength session, um, and how brutal that was, um, or different people would come, you know, come to practice and watch. Um, you know, we had coaches from, from the NBA and different GMs and, um, people from Nike bringing us different gear and, um, you know, it was really like, it was stuff that I just wanted to remember. And honestly, I thought, you know, I'm just going to jot some of this stuff down. Anything, maybe I'll just show this to my kids someday. Um, and that was kind of that. And, and to be honest, I didn't touch it um, after I graduated college in 2007. So I had all these Microsoft Word docs kind of scattered around. Um, and it wasn't until, so my wife is a, um, is a doctor and we were basically shipped out to Portland, Oregon for a residency uh, several years ago. Um, and at that point, anyone that's kind of in the medical field knows this, but, you know, residency is brutal. And these doctors- They're all consuming, yeah. Yeah, 90, 100 hour weeks. So the first year I was just, you know, I was watching all these games and taking jogs all over the city. And I kind of just thought, you know, I got to, I got to find something to kind of do here. Um, you know, besides just go to work every day. And so, um, I just kind of dug back into the book and, and the more that I did it, um, the more I just thought, I just want to like, I just want to turn this into like something that's complete still so I can give it to my kids. Um, and it wasn't until, it wasn't until maybe like the last six months where I, I was just reading through parts of it. And I said, 
why don't I actually like work on this and try to make it, you know, more succinct and make it into a real book. And I think, you know, anytime you share something that's super personal to you, um, you know, there's kind of just those questions of like, do I really want to like share this with the public? But I think I got to a point where, um, I, I just thought about like my own upbringing, my own childhood and just thought, you know, I would have loved to have read a book like this when I was in high school. Um, I would have loved just a, a no holds bar kind of raw look into like what actually goes down in a division one practice or like what a season looks like. Um, and there's nothing in the book that like, you know, crosses that, that line of respect in terms of, in terms of what happens in that locker room. Um, but I did want to write something that was, that was just authentic. And I think, you know, being a, a sports book fan, um, I've read so many books over the years that are just, they're so generic. There's a bunch of stats and scores and, but there's like, th there's just no emotion behind like what's being told. And so I think that, um, my goal for the book was just, I just wanted to tell it to people straight. Um, and I think a lot of people have appreciated that. Um, and it's been fun for me just getting feedback uh, because I just I just try to tell it kind of like how I saw it. And it's interesting. I mean, you start with these notes, um, you know, from your 20 year old self. Right. And then you're revisiting these a decade later and starting to kind of put it all together into, you know, a coherent narrative. And so did that, as you especially were looking on this with the, with the benefit of 10 years of time and added maturity and life experiences, did that, you know, you, you mentioned that story earlier about Crean just berating you at halftime while you're wearing like, you know, khakis and a polo, <laughs> not even playing. Right. Yeah. And thinking, God, this guy's such a jerk, you know, which is how most, the vast majority of 20 year olds will respond. Like, why are you yelling at me? Um, I didn't, you know, miss a, miss an assignment. Um, but I mean, with the benefit of that 10 years, did it, did it kind of force you or compel you to look upon that experience at Marquette very differently and, and how so? Yeah. I think one of the beautiful things about just the book itself is that, um, people will recognize some of the sections that were written when I was 20 versus some that were written when I was probably 35, you know, 34. Um, and it does, it, it, it changes things. And at the same time, I kept some of those, um, kind of early writings the way that they were, cause I didn't want to change the way that I viewed it when I was 20. Um, and I think that that's kind of the, the fun part of the book sometimes, even for me, um, it's like, man, I, you know, I can't believe this guy said this. Um, but it's like, you know, I wrote some of that stuff down right after practices. Um, and so, yeah, I think I, I, I definitely, you definitely think about things different. Um, you know, you view things probably with more maturity now. Um, but it, it's, it's crazy to me how the other thing that happens when you're actually in it, um, your, your mental state just becomes, um, you become so much tougher mentally. And that was, that was one section, you know, even in the book, um, Todd Townsend was a senior when I was mm -hmm. playing great guy, um, has done a lot of coaching at the college level. For those that don't know about Todd too, a really interesting backstory, um, from a South side, Chicago home was adopted later on in his life by a, a teammate, Matt Loddick, who's now the head coach at Valparaiso university. His grandma adopted Todd. It's a really fascinating story about Todd's kind of, uh, you know, kind of late teen years, um, real rich character. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Todd was the one that kind of came up to me one day and was just like, 
you know, after you've gone through a lot of this stuff for long enough, you, you don't think so much about like, how am I going to make it to the next drill? You kind of just, you, you don't, you don't have like a finality in your mind. Um, and that, I think that's a huge thing, um, for just how people navigate through, through a college season, especially with some of the conditioning and such. Um, you know, we didn't have a clock in our gym. You never knew when like things were going to be over, but his point was just like, you just do things one at a time. And when it's over, it's over. And there was definitely a maturity there for someone who had kind of been through through this where, you know, if we're going to practice for two hours or six hours, it didn't really matter to him because he was just locked into one thing at a time. And I think that was, um, that was just a very mature thing uh, for him to say to me and something that, um, definitely like changed my mindset, you know, after a few months in the program moving forward. And so, you know, when you reflect on this book again, about two years old, what, what was kind of the overriding message that you wanted to share with readers as they kind of dig into walk on warrior, they read about these experiences. What did you kind of hope they took away and what was the overriding message you wanted to share? I think the biggest thing is I didn't, I didn't take the time to like summarize, you know, thoughts at the end of each chapter. I didn't necessarily want to tell people like what they should take. Um, but I wanted it just to, just to be as authentic as possible. Um, my hope for the book was just that, that kids, parents, coaches could relate to it in some way. Um, you know, if there was a kid that was a you know ninth, 10th, 11th grader that was thinking, got it, you know, is it really worth all this work to, to get to this point? You know, do I really have a shot? Um, you know, what, what's a day in the life there versus what I'm doing here. I think it just puts a different perspective on kind of like what hard work actually is, um, the expectations at that level. Um, and I think it also gives a lot of kids, hopefully, you know, in a similar situation where, you know, 90% of America probably isn't coming from a, you know, blue chip high school program where they're just, you know, groomed to a place where they've got 15 plus D one offers. Um, and so hopefully it gives kids, you know, some hope and just that you can come from anywhere. You can get to where you want to be. And at the end of the day, I just wanted to maximize my talent. And I think, um, you know, there's a good part of the book that's just kind of about what happened after, um, and, and the things that I was able to take from my experience kind of help leverage into the rest of my life. So let's talk, let's talk about that then too. I mean, how did this uh, talk about how they kind of propelled you throughout the rest of your life, you know, this one year and how influential that was and, and kind of pushed you and, and catapulted you to kind of what you're doing today. Yeah. I mean, I think I just, I took a lot of those, you know, same habits, um, just into, into business. And I kind of worked my way up. I'm the vice president of e-commerce at a, at an agency here in Minneapolis. Um, but I've always kind of looked at life as you, you have to be able to win, you know, against, against other people. And you have to find creative ways to do that. And, um, you know, I've really tried to kind of implement that in my business career. And at the same time, like, um, I just, I learned a lot about relationships. I learned a lot about discipline. And as I mentioned earlier, just doing things consistently like day after day after day. Um, and just having that mindset that it's not so much about the results as it is about, you know, what I'm doing and being fulfilled with what I'm doing and the results will come after that. Awesome. So John, you know, we're going to kind of wrap it up here and let you get on with your life. But before we do that, let's, let's kind of reflect on, um, a little bit of that year there at Marquette and kind of do some rapid fire. So, um, what was the favorite 
gym? You I mean you're on the bench for these games. What was the favorite gym you went to? Favorite gym you played in? Yeah, I love playing at the Paul. Um, just because the fans were absolutely nuts um, and they were so close to the court. Um, so I'll say that. And then the other one I want to mention is uh, I played in the state championship as a freshman in high school. Um, and that was at Milwaukee's Mecca, uh, which is where the oh, ball yeah. play. And, you know, just that, that logo. I think you guys actually have a logo on your website for a t-shirt. 199 is thrilled to be repping the Mecca. You bet. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, being on that Mecca floor was special for me. And, um, you know, we won that state title and uh, I'll never forget that. It's awesome. Cool. Best player you saw live during your year at Marquette? It's probably Celine Stoudemire. Um, and, and actually, I got to talk to, to Lou Olson before that as well. Just an awesome guy. Uh, there's a funny story about him in the book. Um, but Celine Stoudemire was a guy with like no conscience, shoot it from anywhere. Um, and that was a hell of a matchup when he was he was matched up against Travis Diener. Awesome. Cool. Uh, you mentioned you're a reader of sports books. So tell me what's your favorite sports book? Probably open by Andre Agassi. Um, I don't even like tennis that much, but it was actually one of the inspirations for my own book, which was just the way it was written, um, was so, was so unbelievably, um, just raw. I, I was shocked at some of the things he said, um, but it was kind of just like spilling out of his brain, you know, as he was telling me stories. Um, if you haven't read it, I would definitely check it out. Awesome. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Steve Novak hitting all those threes during the five minute drill. Uh, Travis Diener wasn't too bad too. Um, who's winning in a three point shootout between those two? You know, I had to think long and hard about answering this. And, and my answer is probably nobody because they'd both refuse to like leave the game. And it would be like double or triple and quadruple or nothing. Um, so I would say it would probably be whoever leaves the gym first. <laughs> Maybe neither of them. So, and then finally, as a college kid, what was the best thing about being a walk-on at Marquette? I mean, free gear, you know, that's nice when you're 20, 20 years old. So just for you though, what was the best thing about being a walk-on at Marquette? Yeah, I think it was definitely the free Gatorade machine in our locker room. You know, uh, it got to the point where, uh, Crean or somebody put a limit on the number of Gatorades you could take out of there at one time. Um, because, you know, guys would walk out of the locker room with like a 12 pack of Gatorade in the duffel bag, um, which is which is pretty funny. <laughs> gotcha. Well, John, let's end it there. And as I said, let you get on with your life. The book is Walk on Warrior, Drive, Discipline and the Will to Win. Thank you for listening to the 199 podcast. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do. And while you're there, leave us a rating or view. We have links to all of 19.9's social media so you never miss a release. Until next time.